Welcome to the World War I History Podcast, produced by the MacArthur Memorial. We invite you to follow us on Twitter, at MacArthur1880, or find the General Douglas MacArthur Memorial on Facebook. The Jolly Roger and World War I The black flag featuring the skull and crossbones is a powerful symbol with cross-cultural resonance. Most commonly referred to as the Jolly Roger, this flag is the default symbol of pirates and piracy. While there have been many variations of this symbol throughout history, the fairly consistent presence of a human skull on the flag evokes the idea of memento mori, a motif dating back to ancient and medieval times that served as a visceral reminder of mortality. French pirate Emmanuel Wynne is thought to have been the first to fly a version of the Jolly Roger. In a report dated July 18, 1700, English Captain John Cranby wrote that Wynne flew a sable ensign with crossbones, a death's head, and an hourglass. Other pirates in the early 18th century flew similar black flags, but added other elements, such as full skeletons or hearts, among other symbols. The first documented appearance of the basic skull and crossbones version of the flag occurred in 1717, when English pirate Samuel Black Sam Bellamy, giving chase to a slave ship commanded by Captain Lawrence Prince, spread a black flag with a death's head and bones across, and gave chase to Captain Prince under the same colors. While the Jolly Roger was used to identify pirate ships, it was also a powerful psychological weapon. With its implication of death, it was meant to intimidate other vessels into immediate surrender. Although willing to engage in battle, most pirates preferred to avoid such conflict. Attacking a target could destroy valuable cargo, or even sink a ship that could become a prize. With loot as their primary objective, intimidating a victim into quick surrender was the best way to guarantee success. In his study, The Semiotics of X, Dr. Jameen Pelkey argues that the Jolly Roger was a kind of brand identity for early modern pirates, one whose executive summary might read as follows. Ruthlessly intent on imminent bodily harm, or death-barring absolute surrender, followed regardless by forcible loss of dignity or property. He notes that while most pirates had very short careers, we know from the mythos of history and folklore alike that their basic branding strategy was a success. In later centuries, even as piracy in the Atlantic drastically declined, the flag remained a symbol of ruthlessness and of challenge to authority. Ironically, while the British Navy prided itself on playing a key role in stamping out the golden age of piracy, the Jolly Roger would take on particular attraction for British submarine crews in World War I. On September 13, 1914, HMS E-9, commanded by Lieutenant Commander Max Horton, torpedoed a German cruiser in the North Sea. This was the first kill by a Royal Navy submarine in World War I. Lieutenant Commander Horton ordered his signal officer to create a Jolly Roger flag. On her return to port, E-9 flew this flag from her periscope. This was the first known use of the Jolly Roger by the Royal Navy. But why would an officer in the Royal Navy fly the Jolly Roger? By the early 20th century, popular literature had given pirates a more glamorous makeover which also led the Jolly Roger to be associated with a sort of reckless daring and adventure. 
But this was not the main attraction for Lieutenant Commander Horton and his crew. Horton was making a different kind of statement. In 1900, the Royal Navy had ordered five Holland-class submarines from the Electric Boat Company in the United States. Then Third Sea Lord, Rear Admiral Sir Arthur Wilson, opposed the acquisition of submarines, calling them a damned un-English weapon. He only agreed to the acquisition of the five submarines as a way to test a weapon he hoped only the enemy would use. His opposition to submarines continued for the rest of his career. In 1901, Wilson asked First Lord of the Admiralty, William Palmer, 2nd Earl of Selborne, to ban offensive submarine operations. Selborne refused. Wilson then asked Selborne to announce that the Royal Navy would treat all submarines as pirates in wartime and hang all the crews. Again, this was refused. After following Jackie Fisher as First Sea Lord in 1910, Wilson left the Admiralty in 1911. His attitudes towards submarines was not forgotten, though, by Royal Navy submarine crews. When E-9 flew the Jolly Roger from her periscope, she was making a pointed statement about the value of submarines and the pride of submariners in their service. And she would continue to make the statement. On October 6, 1914, E-9 sank a German torpedo boat. When she returned from this successful mission, she flew two Jolly Rogers to indicate the two successful missions. After future successful patrols, the E-9 flew one Jolly Roger with a bar added to the flag to indicate each successful attack on an enemy vessel. For the crew, given the danger and stress of submarine service, the act of flying the Jolly Roger was probably beneficial in terms of morale. World War I was also a war of propaganda, though. With a stalemate on the Western Front, both sides were anxious to win over any neutral nations to their cause by portraying their enemy as bloodthirsty and inhumane, and themselves as righteous and civilized. For the British Admiralty, flying the Jolly Roger was problematic. Although some commanders disapproved of the Jolly Roger on the grounds that it was being used to gloat or swagger, something they considered undignified and coarse, for the Admiralty it was mainly a question of optics. British propaganda was trying to convince the world that the Kaiser and his U-boats were a menace to civilization, that they were unleashing horrors on innocence. British submarines flying the Jolly Roger the flag of ruthlessness and lawlessness, sent the wrong message and could trigger a public relations nightmare. There was no punishment for E-9's act, but the Admiralty worked to discourage the practice. While he was promoted to commander at the end of 1915, Horton's involvement in flying the Jolly Roger was not forgotten. In 1915, the chief of the Russian naval staff asked the Royal Navy to let Horton serve as senior naval officer at the Royal Navy base in the Baltic. Second Sea Lord Vice Admiral Sir Frederick Hamilton squashed the idea, writing, I understand that Commander Horton is something of a pirate and not at all fitted for the position of senior naval officer. Despite the Royal Navy's disapproval of flying the Jolly Roger, during World War I it was never able to successfully curb the practice. A photograph taken in July 1916 captures the HMS H-5 flying the Jolly Roger as she enters port. 
This is the first known photograph of a British submarine flying the Jolly Roger, but E-9 and H-5 were not the only British submarines to fly the flag. While the exact number is unknown, other British submarines also adopted the practice during the war. When World War I ended in 1918, the practice largely stopped. It resumed with greater visibility in World War II. On September 22, 1940, the submarine HMS Osiris attacked and sank the RM Palestro, an Italian torpedo boat. As the Osiris was returning to port in Alexandria, she was instructed to halt and wait for a special recognition signal in a sealed package marked JR to be opened by the commanding officer only. The package contained a Jolly Roger, and so the Osiris entered port flying the Jolly Roger to signify her successful patrol. As the war continued, the practice expanded. Some flotilla captains presented Jolly Rogers to their submarine commanders after their first successful patrol. On Malta, a woman named Carmela Cassar had a group of nuns make lace 12-inch by 18-inch Jolly Roger flags for each submarine operating out of Malta. Submarine crews soon began adding symbols to their flags to denote different types of successful missions. In addition to the bar that had been used in World War I to denote the sinking of a vessel, the crews added other images, including but not limited to a dagger, a sheep's head, and a life belt. Daggers indicated the successful completion of a covert cloak-and-dagger type of operation. A sheep's head indicated the sinking of an enemy vessel by ramming, and a life belt represented the rescue of an aviator or sailor. At some point during the war, although the method of transmission is unclear, U.S. Navy submarines began to adopt the Jolly Roger tradition. Until 1942, U.S. submarines did not display any indication of a successful patrol. In late 1942 or early 1943, sailors advertised a successful clean sweep of enemy warships and merchant shipping by hanging a broom from the periscope shears. This evolved a bit to include a pennant flown from the broom. In the Pacific Theater, the pennant would be decorated with a Japanese rising sun flag to denote the sinking of a warship and a standard Japanese flag to denote the sinking of a merchant vessel. In 1944, Walt Disney's artists began designing submarine insignia. The pennants and brooms were soon replaced by larger battle flags that featured the Disney insignia for the submarine, as well as the symbols that marked the tally of successful missions. Several submarines, including the Drum, Finback, and the Growler, included the Jolly Roger on their battle flags. U.S. submarines were not the only vessels in the U.S. Navy to fly the Jolly Roger, though. The Coast Guard Cutter, CG-484, commissioned into Navy service as USCG-6, flew the Jolly Roger on D-Day during the Allied landings at Normandy on June 6, 1944, as part of Rescue Flotilla 1. In that capacity, and with her sailors wearing helmets with the Jolly Roger painted on them, she rescued nearly 500 Allied personnel in the first three days of the invasion. She was not the first U.S. ship to fly the Jolly Roger, though. In 1943, the Fletcher-class destroyer USS Kidd became the first U.S. Navy ship to fly the Jolly Roger. The ship's namesake was Rear Admiral Isaac C. Kidd. Kidd was the U.S. Navy's first flag officer to die in action against a foreign enemy.
He was killed aboard the USS Arizona during the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, and was posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor. He had been nicknamed Cap at the U.S. Naval Academy, and sailors aboard the Kid petitioned the Admiral's widow to ask Navy officials to allow the Kid to fly the Jolly Roger and to have the pirate Captain William Kid as the mascot for the ship. Mrs. Kidd agreed with the idea and successfully persuaded Navy officials to officially authorize the Kidd to fly the Jolly Roger. Today, the current USS Kidd, an Arleigh Burke-class destroyer, continues the tradition and is the only U.S. Navy vessel that officially flies the Jolly Roger. Her crew proudly bears the title Pirates of the Pacific. Today, more than a century after the HMS E-9 flew the Jolly Roger, navies around the world continue the tradition. The technology and the threats have changed, but for those in the silent service, whose victories must often be kept secret, the Jolly Roger remains an important, if enigmatic, symbol of mission success. Special thanks to the U.S. Naval History and Heritage Command for research assistance on this podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, suggestions, or comments, please contact Amanda Williams at amanda.williams at norfolk.gov.